Rob Carbone. This is BD Everybody, what is happening? I am your host, RJ Carbone. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to episode 219, where we're talking Yanks again, man. You know, we're starting to progressively talk Yankees more and more in the show because it is March. Set myself up there, and I got to check. It is March 7th, a Sunday night, March 7th. We are almost there. We're almost to the regular season. For the MLB. I am so excited. Uh, but yeah, as I am recording, is March 7th. As you are listening to this, um, I'm not sure when I'm going to um, drop this episode yet. But it will be the week of this day. It'll be the week of March 7th. So expect it maybe March 8th, March 9th, or 10th. I want to say one of those days. Um, who knows? Maybe I you know, put it out as soon as I can finish editing it but um we'll see but i i can't believe we are already you know just already in the midst of spring training baseball right now you know it's crazy how shit you know just just flies by we are we are obviously it's the one year pretty much anniversary of when the sports started to shut down you know, um, ever since this came back, I've never taken it for granted. Well, you know, I, I always bitch and moan, but it's just part of the being a fan. But like, I'm just happy it's back, and I'm never taking sports for granted again. And and on a good thing, fucking, we're starting to get more fans in the seats. You know, that's that's awesome. That's the most important thing to me. Is you know because just watching baseball last year. It didn't feel like it, you know. I mean, it was fun, right? It was still fun. It was baseball. You were into it, blah, blah, blah. But, like, first of all, the whole 60-game shtick, that was a, a joke to me. Um, again, I was fortunate we had a sport, but I'm just glad now we have 162 games. Okay, so we're back to normal there. Um, we have a crowd, right? It's not. It's not full capacity but we have a crowd it's just those two things make such a difference so just to be able to be back to normal to to a degree now in terms of sports where we're much closer to the exact norm that we were once at that's fucking huge um so i'm taking that as a positive you know we don't have to sit through a a brief and marathon of a baseball season with no crowd yeah <laughs> We can actually have fans in the seats at Yankee Stadium, and we can actually witness a, a dogfight, a 162-game dogfight, which is what baseball is about. That's why baseball is so fun, because it's who can sustain this long dogfight of a summer, right? Starting in the beginning, baseball is the, the only sport that partakes in, like, fucking, what, three seasons? It starts... Four almost. 
I was yeah. I mean, it starts what? It starts in winter. Spring training starts up in winter, right? In the beginning of March. Actually, the beginning of February is when they start reporting the camp. You go and do spring training. The beginning of the regular season. That's in the spring. Most of the regular season is in the summer. You get to the playoffs in the fall. You know, you end the... Yeah, so you... you, you it's three seasons, man. So, you know, it's such a difference from a 60-game sprint back to the 162. So thrilled. So thrilled for it. You know what was very thrilling? Um, oh, man. It was a really good weekend um, for, for MMA fans. MMA fans got a treat. Um, and I'm glad I picked that up. It's actually like the one-year anniversary since I've started picking up MMA. It was, it was one of the things I started getting into during quarantine last year. You know? Back when everybody took it so serious to where nobody left their house. You know, before they started realizing, okay, you can recover from this. Back when everybody was just camped in at home, we needed stuff to do. And so one of the things I did, I picked up, I was, I just, I just tuned into more MMA. You know, I was always a fan of it. I was you know, occasionally caught it, but I actually took time to watch weekend to weekend the fights. You know, Dana White said they were going to fight Island. I was like, oh, I'll check this out. I am fucking glued since. And this past weekend, yesterday, as I'm recording yesterday, Saturday the 6th, it was good, man. It was really good. You know, um, it was a stacked card. One of the more stacked cards you're going to see. You know, the prelims, all the prelims were pretty fucking solid. Actually, the, the, the fight of the night uh, was a preliminary fight. It was Kennedy and um, Olberg. That was a good fight. I think Kennedy won. It was very aggressive, very lively, you know, energetic. A lot of st- it was like a it was a stand up battle. Guys were it was all it was all standing up, just trading punches. Very good fight. Great match to start. That was the fight of the night. One of the one of the prelims. Um, but the main card was good. The main card, I, in my opinion, I think the main card lived up to its hype. Um, after that first one, the first one was pretty underwhelming, right? The first fight, the first fight on that main card was pretty underwhelming. I'm watching the NBA All-Star game right now. God, that shit's a joke. <laughs> I don't even know, like, they changed that shit. Eh, we'll get to that. We'll get to it. The, the first fight of the, uh, of, of UFC 259, the first fight on the main card. Yeah, it was pretty quiet, right? You had two guys who were known for their power and knocking people out. And Santos and, was it Rocket, just his name? Um, but it was pretty disappointing. You know, I thought, this was, unfortunately for me, this was one of my five legs on my parlay. And I had this one going, um, going inside the distance because I thought, you know, two people were very again, powerful, this could have ended in a knockout at one point. But it ended up going the distance. It goes all three. There was not a knockout. And um, just the, the opposite of an aggressive fight. Just the guys weren't really going at each other. And, you know, Santos just didn't look good at all. 
and he ends up losing and this yeah it was a pretty uneventful start to the card but you know it gets interesting um the next fight is islam versus dober and forgive me because i i know i'm probably going to pronounce a few names wrong tonight and forgive me for that because i'm again i i just picked up ufc last summer so i'm trying here but um this one went to islam he took it he he got a round 3 submission um guys a good ass fucking fighter good ass fighter i don't i didn't know who he was until this fight but apparently a lot of people think he's underrated um he comes from habib's camp and you know anybody who comes from his camp is probably pretty fucking decent. Um, you know, so people are saying he's top fifteen at worst. And um, you know, he's probably going to end up fighting some bigger names now. He's he's on there. He's on a lot of people's map now. People know who he is. They're starting to figure out who this guy is. Um, he Kabi was in his corner. You know, I saw that. That was pretty cool. Um. Yeah, and he, he ended up taking down Nober, and fucking, I, luckily for me, I needed that. That was one of the bets I had, too. Um, then we get to one of the more controversial, not controversial, but maybe just maddening. One of the more maddening performances of the night. It was a, it was just a very unfortunate fight. The fight itself was good. The fight itself, it was a great fight. The fight was very good. It was pretty evenly matched, but you could see as the fight went on that Piotr Jan was starting to take the lead, and he had some momentum, and it looked like he had the fight in his bag. Round four, all of a sudden, he gets Aljo Sterling to the ground, and he fucking throws the illegal knee. He throws the illegal fucking knee. Now... You know, people are speculating about it. Did he do it intentional? Obviously, it's intentional, but did he, you know, what, was it a lack of focus? That's what Jan says. Was it miscommunication from the, his English-speaking corner, um, you know, versus the Russian-speaking corner? You know, a lot of people are speculating different things. Regardless, you know, lack of focus, miscommunication, it was just a dumb fucking decision to throw that knee. I mean, like I said, the guy... I'm pretty sure most of us knew the guy, other than that one dumb asshole ref who had Sterling ahead, um, the other couple of refs knew what they were saying, and they had um, Jan ahead, and, and he looked like he was about to take the fight. It really looked like Jan had the fight in the fucking bag, but he threw the knee, and he gets DQ'd. Did, uh, did Sterling milk it a bit? You know, maybe. But unfortunately, the way it ends, and, and I would hate you know, I would hate to 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 win a title. This is a title match. This is a five-round five match. I would hate to win a title by getting my ass kicked and only taking the title because the other dude was a clown. I mean, just, just getting my ass kicked and then getting the title. It's like It's like placing, it's like participation trophy in a way. It's, you know, I'm sure Aljo felt the same exact way. It's got to suck to be able to to lose like that and still win. You know, he was clearly losing at that point in time. 
but the illegal knee happens and he gets and he gets the belt by disqualification. Um, I don't know. I think they should just vacate the fight. Uh, Dana is saying though. Dana said they're they're gonna have a a rematch as soon as possible. So both of their next fights are likely to be against each other. So that's good. But yeah, it was just unfortunate because it looked like it was on its way to a to a five round battle where, you know, Jan was running at the time, but there was a whole another round and a half left. And, you know, you never know what could have happened, and it was just so unfortunate. This was the fight that, you know, going into the odds were pretty even. They weren't too far apart. I think Jan was favored by a bit, maybe minus 200. But, yeah, it was close. It was very close. A lot of people were expecting this to be the fight of the night. and Or they were expecting it to be very good. And it just, it, it you know, kind of put a, what do you call? Just a sour way to end it. You know, it could have put a damper on. Or could have been an otherwise really good fight. But we bounce back with a powerful victory in the next fight. With uh, fucking Amanda, Amanda Nunes. Going up against Megan Anderson. And fucking Megan Anderson. Another chick I'd ever even heard of before I watched the presser the night before the fight. She is big. She's like six feet tall. On a bad day. <laughs> She's tall. She's big. So, you know, maybe there was an upset. But I think Nunez was like minus 1,200 to start out as a favorite. And she she she's a fucking animal, a fucking robot. She's unbelievable. She's obviously the greatest of all time. Incredible performance by her. Not even three, maybe three minutes into it, not even. She she gets the knockout on Anderson. Anderson, I don't even remember her touching Nunez. Maybe gets two strikes on her. She lands maybe two strikes. That's what the card said. But, oh my gosh. Just total domination. Just total domination. Didn't even last a round. Nunez goes in, does the job, and boom. I think she's 21-4 and four now, maybe. Yeah. And, and those losses came earlier in his in her career. She hasn't lost in a while. She's the greatest. And now she she goes on to to. It's like, you know, she was talking to Rogan after the, the fight. And she, she, Rogan goes, you know, you have yourself to blame <laughs> because who the hell is she? Who's she gonna fucking fight? Logan fucking Paul? Like who's who's next on her on her card? Like, I, what's her future looking like? Because she she's literally taking down everybody. She. I mean, hell. Who is next? That's it's really weird. It's like you can just retire at that point. But she she loves the game, and, and nobody wants to see her retire. They want to see her keep kicking ass. But she is literally taking down everybody in her path. She's a fucking animal. She's a monster. She's awesome. She's so cool. Quickly become one of my favorite fighters. And that was that was the the co-main. That was the co-main event. A good fight, you know, a good three minutes, but well worth it, man. It was fucking awesome. And and then we get to the the motherfucking Izzy Adesanya and Jan Bohevich, whatever. I hope I said his name wrong. Right, 
but fucking, you know, the Polish fuck. <laughs> Polish power is what they call him. That dude, he is thick. That guy's huge. He is fucking big. He's massive. I mean, shit. He is powerful. Um, Izzy's quick. Izzy's got agility. He's pretty powerful himself when he gets a hold of you, but that dude was huge. And I thought, you know, there was a chance there would be a, an upset here. That's why this one wasn't pretty far out. It was pretty even. But, you know, I actually had this one being a knockout. I put some money on this one being a knockout. And this ends up going all five. Was it the the barn burner that everybody expected? No. No, it wasn't. You know, Izzy didn't have that same dominant pizzazz. Because it was just a close fight. He was focused from the start. And so was this, so was this Jan guy. Um, but Izzy, you know, he didn't exactly have the same, you know, it didn't feel like he was, it, it didn't ever feel like he was going to win this fight. I think it's the best way I can put it. You know, he had, whenever he got a good land on Jan, Jan would just strike back. You know, it was pretty close. It was close. This one was definitely close. Um, you know, obviously it ended up going all, all five rounds. But, you know, I guess size one in the end. And, you know, this is the fight that Izzy had to move up 20 pounds for, right? He went from the eighty-five, uh, the 185 to the 205. So that's tough to do. And, you know, it ends up being very competitive going all five, but... You always, you just felt like the entire time you didn't feel like Izzy had it. And I think, you know, it was pretty controversial, but I thought, you know, I wasn't too, you know, maybe it's just me because I'm new and I don't know jack shit about MMA, but to me, it looked like Izzy only took one round and, and I thought that Jan had the other four. Um, Dana White did not like that. He thought, you know, that was the whole thing in the presser when he was talking about how he was just going off on those judges for scoring you know, two judges uh, gave him 10 eights in the fifth. Two judges gave him 10 eight, and he was just going off on them because he was saying how 10 eight used, used to mean, you know, the guy dominated. It used to mean it, was, it wasn't even a close fucking round. Um, but I honestly didn't. I, I, I really. I, I don't know. White was like saying how, how the fuck could you think it was four to one? I don't. You know, I really did. I think the only round that. That was clear to me that Izzy took was round three. Um, he had the first half of round five. It looked like he was slightly ahead there. But then, you know, that's kind of where things started to go downhill. And that's where it all ended. Is when, you know, Jan took him down. He had the takedown. And Izzy could not get up from there. The final two minutes, two and a half minutes of this of this fight was Izzy on the ground trying to escape. And that was pretty much it. It was over from there. So. Yeah, the Polish fuck wins. Polish power. Dude is awesome. He is huge. He's jacked. And I'm just all for it. He wins. But I'm a big Izzy fan. I like Adesanya. Uh, he's fun. He's exciting. He's hilarious. And he took the loss well. He's pretty humble in defeat there. He had the, the interview with Joe. He was saying all the right things. Yeah, but it was unfortunate. That was his first loss ever. He was 20-0 before that. You know, people were, were talking about Jones versus Adesanya. Was he going to fight John Jones? Now that's over. That's over. 
No more John Jones. But now we're looking at maybe Glover Teixeira versus Jan. You know? But, yeah, I mean, listen, all around it was it was a good card. It was a really good Saturday night. Uh, it was a successful, very successful night. Um, yeah. I, I had a really good time watching that. From the prelims all the way. Seriously, from the early prelims all the way to the end of that main card. I, I liked it. It was fucking awesome. It definitely, definitely lived up to its spectacular hype. And there's another big card coming up. Not as big, but on the 27th this month, we've got um, a pretty good card. I don't know all the matchups, but I do know that it features like um, O'Malley, uh, Woodley. Ortega's coming back on the card. Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, and then I think the main event is Sipe Miocic versus that one dude. Uh, forget the guy's name. It starts with an N or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's going to be a good card too. Don't get me. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's one I'm excited for. Um... Yeah, next weekend, though, I think it's Leon Edwards. And uh, the only other guy I know on that card, uh, Dan Ige. So I'll still tune into that. Because I'm always. Listen, I'll tune into any of these fights. I have so much respect for what these guys do. And, and they're able to just sustain it and keep coming back and doing it over and over. Getting their ass beat and coming right back out there. <laughs> Fucking nuts. Fucking insane. You know, Dana wants to go to Texas. He wants to go to Texas because, you know, obviously... Well, he was saying how he hoped that... He wanted to go there as soon as possible. He wanted, two, he wanted UFC 260 to be in Texas. You know, because the governor's obviously opened back up. Uh, businesses are open 100% capacity at these venues now and all that. So fucking... It would have been nice, right? It would have been awesome to get UFC 260 back in Texas over in Texas um but he said you know these these mayors are making it tough for him you know fucking so they they're, they're staying at the apex for now but hopefully hopefully soon we can get something going in Texas and have a you know because you know, I would love to be able to watch UFC with a crowd my, my, my only experience with this sport is watching it with no crowd you know, I would love to see what it's like watching a live event where I don't know the outcome with a crowd, right? I would love to see what that's like. But um, for now, we're staying at the Apex. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it's going to be cool to see um, what happens in the future with this sport, man. Hey, yeah. But overall, man, I liked I liked this weekend. was good. I thought this fight, this card... Um, this group of fights, these group of fights, it was fucking amazing. I loved it. You know, it, did, it, did it go the way everybody expected? No, but nothing ever goes the way it, it's expected to go. But was it was it every bit as good as as hyped up to be? Damn right. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. So that's all I've got for for MMA. That's probably the longest we've ever spoken about MMA on the show here on BD Four.
guys are listening to the podcast, episode 219 of BD4. I am your host, RJ Carbone. Um, thank you for stopping by and tuning into BD4. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google, Anchor, SoundCloud. Watch us on YouTube or plenty more platforms where you can listen to this podcast or watch it. Just go to my website to find my website, all these platforms, my blog, where to find me on social media, all that stuff to that has to do with my, my work, my content. Just go to my link tree to find that information. Go to my link tree. Go to linktr.ee forward slash RJ Carbone. That's going to take you to my link tree. It'll give you all the links to anything you need to find me at. Social media, the blog, all the podcast feeds, and more. And um, yeah, it was a good weekend for UFC for sure. I'm so happy I, I started picking up this shit, man. It is so entertaining. I have so much respect for what UFC fighters do. It, to me, it's 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 UFC and then every other sport, you know. It really is. I have, you know, sports are sports. You know, they're games. They're they're fun. But, but fighting, it's fucking legit. It's real shit. You're actually doing damage to another human's body. You know, we're in sports. You, you throw around a ball, you know. It's not, it's real, but it's not real, real. It's not like you're doing anything to somebody else. You're, 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 you're literally doing damage to, to another human. It's just so fucking entertaining. I love it. It's barbaric. It's fucking dirty. It's nasty. It's everything, but it's fun. It's fun. And it's safe. It's safe. They, they, they are sure that this is safe stuff. They take very good care of their bodies. They know when to call and stop the fights. But it's fun. Very fucking fun. Alright. Um, yeah, I'm watching the NBA All-Star Game. So, this fucking format, you know, I think it's the second time they're doing it. So, I, I still don't really understand what, what the deal is. Um, I guess they restart the score each quarter now. Well, why can't they just have a full fucking four quarters and just play basketball like usual? I don't know. But they're trying to get you. It's for charity, so I like that. But, you know, there are other ways to, to donate. You don't have to. It's just, I don't understand. They they literally restart the score every quarter. And I think the fourth quarter, there's no time limit. I don't know. It's a good thing I didn't bet. Because I probably would have fucked it up. Not knowing what the hell the, the rules are. And these uniforms are ugly. <laughs> um, It's Team LeBron. And this whole team versus team. Like it used to just be East versus West. Go out there for four quarters and ball out. I loved it. Loved it. You know, obviously the no defense thing has always been annoying. But it's the all-star game. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't know. This whole thing is weird. Seven to six with nine and a half left in the in the second. I don't know what. I don't know. But it's, you know, they, they cater to the younger Gen Z fans. And I, I'm sure they're all over this shit. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck it. My generation's weird. Um, I'm actually a millennial. But I... Saw the end of the three-point contest. I guess I missed the dunk contest. That might have been before it. Yeah, I'm sure it was before the three-point contest. At 6.30, I think, it was when the 
the entire thing started. So I didn't see that. I don't even know who won. I didn't really give a shit. Uh, I missed that. I missed the skills contest, which I heard Sabonis t took. DeMontes Sabonis. Um, Julius did not win. But I wonder who won the dunk. I'm sure Obi Toppin did not. Big men usually just don't have a good you know, chance of winning those things. But, yeah, so now we're on to the All-Star game. But the three-point contest was good before this. I didn't see I saw the end of it. But I saw Steph Curry's entire turn. And it said Mike Conley had 27 points. And Curry just beat him out on the final shot. In that, on the right wing, on the right corner. In the right corner there. For the 28th point. He just made it. He was hitting like, there was a point where he made like six or seven in a row. Um, from like the the left wing to the top of the key. And then he missed a couple and then he got hot again at the end. And just fucking just beat him out. And was that his second in a row? I'm pretty sure. So. Fuck yeah, man. It's, it's fucking... Um, I'm just ready for the fucking season to start back up. This all-star shit has never been... I, I'm just not... I'm never really into it. You know, I'll watch it. But it, I just... Ugh. I think it's just because I'm so used to my routine. You know, I watch the Knicks for fucking every single night. Now you tell me I have to fucking just sit here for seven days in a row and wait for them to come back. It, it sucks. Especially when the Knicks are playing well, you know. So, all right. Um, that's that. Let's let's stop bullshitting because we're here to talk Yankees tonight. Um. They played the Phillies today, who, by the way, the Phillies now have Torres and Nova. So you can add those two guys to the insane list of former Yankees turned Phillies. <laughs> it's insane. They showed a graphic on, on yesterday. How many fucking Yankees at one point or another are now on the Phillies currently? It's crazy. So, Terea Zanova, the latest to join Didi. Uh, I don't think D-Rob is over there, but I know Girardi's still there. Um, some, I'm sure there are more I'm not thinking of. <laughs> it was it was like a list of like 11 people. Players and you know, managers and people on the staff. <laughs> it was nuts. But... Yeah. Aaron Boone returned this weekend. A quick scare with the heart surgery. That came out of nowhere. Um, but he's fine. He recovered. And he's back quick. I, he's back a lot quicker than I thought he would be. Um, I thought it was going to be a long thing. But apparently he was cleared. Back with the team. I um, wonder if that's going to affect him though. Like if he has to be more tame this year. He's, he's, he's not like he's like a... He's never been a fire and desire guy anyway. <laughs> But, I don't know. But, you know, good to see him back. Um, it, it's been pretty slow in the news, you know. I just I don't have much written down here on the notes. So just, just, I fucking have Garrett Cole. Likes the, the consistency of the new baseballs. <laughs> that's, that's, those are all the things I read in the headlines of the New York Post. Um, which is the most Garrett Cole thing ever, you know. It's such a Garrett Cole thing to say. 
speaking of that whole thing is, is is starting to pop up again the whole degrom versus cole thing i mean do i even do i even need to say it the guy who thrives in the postseason should get the upper hand here just saying um that's that's really all that fucking matters to be honest with you is postseason performance so i fucking Oh, it's unfair to DeGrom. His team never makes it. Oh, well, fucking... It's unfair to Cole for not counting him. <laughs> Cole has fucking dominated in the playoffs so far in his career. He's been great. I'm not just going to discount that. Fuck. Guy's a monster. I'm sorry. I, I pick him. I pick him. Fuck yeah. Guy's a winner. He's a winner. Alright. Um, And... Something else I saw... I don't know if anybody's into like trading cards, but Mickey Mantle, his 1952 rookie card, autographed rookie card, sold for $1.4 million today. For $1.4 million today, yes, at an auction. Jesus. Just a little piece of paper for that much. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. The bid started at 200k, is what I hear. That's what I read on Bleacher Report. And it worked its way all the way up to 1.4 million dollars. Got to keep these cards in great shape too. And it was said that excuse me, that this mantle card was in mint condition. So, you know, you got to keep the corners crisp and it has to look exactly like it did when it came out of the box. In the plastic, so $1.4 million Mickey Mantle's rookie card. Hmm. Just makes you wonder if you ever have if you have a Glaber Torres rookie card right now, or a fucking, you know, Garrett Cole, or not Garrett Cole, but um Aaron Judge, although I don't think he's gonna make the haul because he's so old and his career has barely gotten started because the injuries, but you know, Glaber Torres. <laughs> Um, you know, somebody in baseball, Tatis, Trout rookie card, hold on to that shit. Do not let it go. Do not let it go. No fucking way. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's head to break, guys. When we get back, we're going to get going. We'll, we'll start with things. Uh, this is episode 219 of the podcast. On uh, this episode, we're just going to talk some, you know, some storylines, um, uh, of spring training of the regular season things to follow you know keys to to their success this year and, and you know some more things so we'll get into that as soon as we get back from our first break here um thanks for stopping by i am your host rj carbone we'll be right back I mean, I guess we'll start with the rotation, right? Because, well, you know, it's the one thing we all have to talk about. You know, um, Domingo Herman is back with the team. He's getting another shot. Obviously, what he did, or allegedly, I don't know, was, was very fucking 
disturbing, disgusting. It's fucking uncalled for. But he's back, and he's going to try and bounce back with a strong season and, and hopefully crack a roster spot in the ro- crack a rotation spot and redeem redeem himself by pitching like he did what 2019 and he was fantastic he was an 18 game winner you know he had 21 of those 27 outings where he allowed three runs or less in 17 of those 21 outings um he he tossed at least five innings so he was consistently good Dominant at home. He always pitched well at home. I remember that. He was just, he was really fun to watch. He was electric when he took the mound and when he got it going, right? That fastball curve combo had the good changeup to complement it. He was fun. And so he's trying to redeem himself. And he's pitched a few innings so far in the spring. He had, yesterday, I think he had four strikeouts in two innings. Um, The changeup was his power pitch yesterday. That was his go to pitch. He had three strikeouts with that changeup. So he looked good. Um, and is he, you know, hopefully he does crack a spot. You know, I'm rooting for him to succeed. You know, as a play, as a player, he was very good for them in 2019. So that's the storyline to follow this spring. Does he perform well? Does he become a, stra- a distraction as the season goes on? You know, we heard the whole thing with Zach Britton. Saying, I can't control who my teammates are. I, I took note of that. You know. Fucking, it's fucking weird. It's it's freaking weird situation. I, I don't know how to, you know, we just got to let it play on. At this point, fucking Yankees fans, we can control nothing. We just have to sit back and he's here. And while he's here, we have to... Root for him to do well as fans, I guess. You don't have to, but <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, it is odd, but he's here, and I'm gonna root for him as a player. It's, it's weird. <laughs> I'm not getting. I'm. I'm not gonna get the guy's jersey. I'll give you that. Um, but I, I you know, I want to see my team win, and I think Domingo Herman gives them a good chance to win when he takes them out. So. I'm rooting for Domingo Herman, the player. Um, Garrett Cole, year two. I have that written down here in my notes. You know, he's he threw BP yesterday. Um, he was slated to start, but the rain changed things up, and um, he didn't start. He just got some work in uh, in a bullpen session. He did pitch Monday versus Detroit. I think he threw an inning. Uh, he faced like seven batters. He kind of, you know, pretty pretty uh, rusty on his way on his way back from the from the off season, and you know, some hit, like three hits, a walk, and wasn't exactly sharp. But regardless, I'm excited to see Garrett Cole year two, man. I mean, spring training has nothing; it's useless for someone like Cole. He's already going to be the number one guy on the staff, and he'll be pitching opening day. So. Hoping he can build off from his very strong pinstripe debut in that 60-game season and now be even better during this 162-game year. You know, the one thing I'm keeping an eye on, um, hopefully he's healthy, but the home run ball. Because if you remember, that was his only big-time 
blemish, excuse me, last season was Garrett Cole allowing a ton of home runs. You know, he had 14 home runs allowed. He surrendered 14 in 12 starts. Um, and then, you know, the postseason he did surrender. He surrendered four in three starts. And it wasn't just the Yankee Stadium thing either. I think it was, I was looking at the splits. It was pretty evenly split. The home road splits. You know, so I don't know exactly what it is. It just started that he wasn't really, he never really gave up a ton of homers in, in, uh, with Houston. But he, he did throw a lot of fastballs last year. Um, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the home runs came on the fastball. Um, so maybe he mixed it up less than usual. So maybe this year you want to see him mix up his arsenal a bit more. But I don't know. I really, I, I can't, without digging too much deep, in, too deep into it, I can't really give a testament to how, to why that happened last year. But regardless, he had a great year. Sub three in the regular season. Sub three in the postseason. He was great. Um, and then it, it's like after Garrett Cole, see, that's where it kind of scares me. And we've talked about this. It, it's like after Garrett Cole, man, you've got, you've got three guys, you've got three guys in the Yankee rotation this year who haven't thrown the baseball in a, in a game in, in two years. Well, okay. So you have three guys who barely pitched much in the last two years. Right, you've got Corey Kluber, who has what a, a total of seven starts in the last two seasons. You've got Jameson Tyone, who hasn't thrown. You've got Luis Severino, who hasn't thrown much since then. So you've got three guys on this roster, on this in this starting rotation, who you're going to be relying on a lot, who haven't pitched much at all in the last two seasons. That's a lot to ask. So after Garrett Cole, man, it's still. It's very questionable. So while Cashman continues to raise the ceiling of this staff, right, getting guys with more promise, more potential, and those types of words, the 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 floor remains the same. It always, you know, we 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 keep getting these guys who have potential to be really good, but at the same time, those guys aren't guaranteed to be good, and if they're not good, we could see this rotation tumble. And so there's still that if factor. So you're hoping Kluber can give you one more good year. You're hoping Jameson Tyone can break out. You know, and I'm really excited for him. I I really hope he does well. He's a good kid. He's he's well, he's 29 years old, but he's at the peak of his career. And if there's one season you want him to stay healthy, it's right now. You want him to peak out here, and you want him to show the Yankees what he's got. And he pitched the other day against the Bucks. Um. You know, it must have been cool facing his former team. His former team the first time back out on the mound since he was with them. And he goes against them. Two scoreless innings the other day. Um, four strikeouts. 39 total pitches. And they said he was averaging just under 94 in the fastball. So, you know, fine. He had three strikeouts. Uh, three of those four strikeouts... I took note of that were above the letters. And I think that's that's going to be his attack this year more often. Is throwing that high heater. He's got the new mechanics, but I'm hearing from, from via Matt Blake, Yankees pitching coach, that his spin rate has improved dramatically. And maybe we see him use less sinker 
and go more up in the zone on those lefties. So, you know, I'm really intrigued to see what Jameson Tyone can do. Um, I, I consider him the right-handed version of what we hoped to get, but never really did from James Paxton. You know, similar style, maybe. Big guy, 6'5", 230, 240. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping Tyone can really come into his own here this year with the Yankees, and I'm hoping they can unlock that potential, and Matt Blake can get him, can really get to him. And, you know, Tyone says he's, he's sick of hearing, so am I, um, all about promise and potential. I, I am sick of that, too. From, from As a Yankees fan, hearing about this team, certain players, and, and yada, yada, it's like, it's go time. We need to see it actually happen. And so, you know, he says he, he's sick of that, and I love that. It stood out to me. But... Hopefully he stays healthy. Hopefully he stays healthy and we get the best version we've ever seen from Jameson Tyone. So, can he be that number two to Garrett Cole? Can Is Corey Kluber going to do it? You know, another guy who's, you know, not exactly pitched much in the last couple of years. He actually went down the same exact day Jameson Tyone went down, ironically enough. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's a whole new rotation, right? There's no James Paxton. There's no Masahiro Tanaka. There's no Jay Happ. But there's still the same high-risk, high-reward type of feeling you get here when you're looking at the staff. Can Corey Kluber do it? Sure. Can he give you one more good year? Yeah. You know, he's going to be 35 in April, but he's a guy who's done it on the big stage before. Um, You know, he's got... The curveball, the sinker, good cutter, and a changeup. And I think he used all those pitches the other day and got a strikeout or, or a swing and miss with each of them uh, when he was pitching against the Jays. Two perfect innings, 22 pitches, three strikeouts. Sinker was his go-to pitch, but all of his pitches were looking really crisp. Saw some of the clips on Twitter. Because I think that game wasn't televised. So, will it be Tyone? Will it be Kluber? Can it be both? Hopefully. But it doesn't always go perfectly. And I think that's one of the reasons Cashman was getting a bunch of guys in this rotation. Kind of re, re, uh, rehauling things. And then there's there's who gets the, the fifth spot, right? Who gets the four and five spots while we await for Seve? Is it Montgomery? Is it King? Is it Schmidt? Although he's injured right now and not sure what the news is there. Um, is it Herman, Davey Garcia, who's probably going to end up getting one of those spots? Um, Lasagna, who's got an outside shot, you know, or do we go with a six a six man rotation? I, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Um, you know, Montgomery pitched five innings um, so far this spring. He has five innings under his belt. Just one run allowed in those five innings, so he's doing well. He pitched today. Um, did a solid job. He's making a push. Kind of had an up and down 2020. But a pretty gritty performance there in the postseason at the end, if I can remember. So he's making a push for this uh, rotation. You've got Michael King. You know, I'm never really impressed. Whenever I see this guy take the mound, you know, he had a couple of outings with the Yankees last year. It, always, it was always like the same story. He shows some potential. He flashes some of his stuff. But he always ends up disappointing one way or another and having that one really bad inning 
to kind of, you know, deflate things. I'm not a big fan of Michael King as a to be a regular in this rotation. I wish him the best, but there are other guys who I do prefer. Um, damn, dude. 54, 54 points from Team LeBron in the second quarter alone. We're going into halftime. They almost have 100 points. Gosh. Somebody just pulled up from half court. And there's 30 seconds left. This fucking joke, dude. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Lasagna's, you know, he pitched two clean innings today. Uh, overall, he's got three innings under his belt this spring, four strikeouts. Um, it's weird. Like, I, I just feel like he's going to end up in the same role, being that mop-up man. <laughs> he's never really lived up to his hype yet. I don't know. I don't see him as that impressive either. Um, Personally, while we await for Seve to get back, I prefer going with a 4-5 of, this is just me, of Herman and Garcia. I think those two should be in there. Um, so I'm hoping their springs are fantastic so it can be solidified. I do think Garcia, if there's one guy of these handful of Yankees fighting for that fifth spot, I do think Garcia is probably the, the staple. And then we have to find out who else is going to be there in the meantime. I think Garcia is pretty much, you could fucking probably say he's a guarantee at this point. Bearing injury or, you know, knock on wood, or a, you know, a rough as hell spring. But I think we can bank on him being there. Um, he never a great start, though. So his spring's not exactly off to a great start. He had uh, he allowed two homers and, like, you know, a few runs in that 15 to nothing loss um, the other day. But he was throwing mid-90s, they said. This was a game I didn't catch. Uh, but he was throwing mid-90s. They said there were there were nine swinging misses. Um, so he looked good. So hopefully he can he can solidify that spot soon enough. Um, you know, and, and we can get Severino. I don't know if there's a timetable on Severino, but I think if all goes well and nothing usually goes well, but if somehow we get a miraculous, you know, return from Seve on time, um, I'm going to say it's like two months into the season at worst. Let's hope. I don't know. Maybe it's earlier. Fucking maybe it's later. Who knows? But, you know, I hope whenever he does come back, the Yankees don't milk him. Okay. He was out for two years. His arm is fresh. Let's get him out there. And let's get him to pitch. Let him pitch. Let the guy pitch. I have this bad feeling that when he comes back, he's going to be completely milked. And they're going to go four innings with him one day. And, you know, these the, the 65 pitch count restrictions on him and this and that. And he's not allowed to do this. I just hope they let him go out there and pitch. Fucking, and I have a feeling with the new analytics staff and Aaron Boone and the way the Yankees do things now, how... how conservative they approach things that they're not exactly going to let him go free out there. And that could lead to some inconsistencies with these restrictions. I mean, if everything is fine and dandy, I would let him pitch. I want this guy to get a goddamn great season under his belt. I've been rooting for him forever, but he's never been consistently dominant. There was that one really, really good year where from game one of the season to the very end, he was great, but he collapsed 
against, the, I forget who it was, maybe the Twins? But he was really bad in the playoffs. And then there was the year, I think, to follow that, where he was fantastic in the first half, and that's kind of when the injury started happening, where he was atrocious in that second half of the season, and then we later find out he's hurt, and this is where we are now. So he's had the potential to be this Cy Young candidate, but he's never lived up from it. He's never lived up to it consistently on a year-to-year basis, and there's never been that one season where he was great from opening day to the very last game of the postseason. And we need to see that finally, once and for all. I hope that we can see it when he gets back. Please. Because I'm tired of this guy getting hyped up so much. Yankees fans pissed off because he left off the top something-something pitchers list. Well, fucking yeah. The guy's never healthy and the guy hasn't fucking consistently been great. We need to see it. So I'm hoping, I'm praying, and I hope he's back soon enough and he's dominant. I really do. I'm rooting for him. I just don't know yet until I will see it. Um, and that's the rotation. That's pretty much the rotation. So you got Garrett Cole, who's your guarantee, or hopefully, to to do his thing. And then after that, we continue to hope and pray that somebody else steps up to be that 1A or 2, whatever you want to call it. And then the three, four, five guys can complement. So I'm not really, I'm not really, you know hyped up about this rotation right now. It's it's to me it still has a lot of question marks. A lot of potential, but a lot of question marks. And that's the same storyline every year with the staff. I feel like it really is. The bullpen is pretty much the same without Adam Adovino. They did get Darren O'Day. He's old, but he did have a spectacular season last year in the shortened season. But I'm hoping he can do well in the pen. Hoping Chad Green could be a, li- uh, a bit more consistent. Uh, but really in the pen, there's not much reliability there. Britain, and that's pretty much it. I'm not really big on Chapman anymore. He's wearing thin on me with his postseason collapses and the injuries. And he's never been, he, he's losing some velocity. Hopefully he can he can find something. But the rotation is still a bit iffy for me. The pen is pretty much in that same boat. <coughs> um, one sec. Mm. Okay, so they're doing the dunk contest at halftime. <laughs> the fuck? So they're doing the dunk contest at halftime. Obi Toppin's gone. Huh. Trade bait Obi Toppin's gone. Once we throw Julius the bag. <laughs> um, um, but that's the rotation. Yeah, this is shit competition here. Hmm. Um, we get to, to the bats and stuff. And, and I think some key storylines to watch here. Uh, one of them I have here is obviously Judge and Stanton staying healthy. You know? Uh, Stanton had two doubles today. His first two hits of the spring. Uh Judge, I don't think, did much, but he does have a couple doubles himself this spring. Um, So both of them have looked good so far in camp. Um, Judge has one strikeout in 12 plate appearances, so that's cool. Um, But you want those two guys to stay the fuck healthy this year. Can both of them please give us even 140-plus games I'll take at this point? You know, 2018, Giancarlo comes here. Oh, Spud Webb's one of the one of the judges. I'm gonna see the judges here on the panel real quick. Spud Webb, Dominique Wilkins, 
D. Brown, who won in 1991. Josh Smith. Oh my gosh. I remember Josh Smith. Wow. <laughs> he won in 2005. Um, you hope that Justin Santon can stay healthy. You know, Giancarlo comes here in 2018, plays 158 games, but Judge, 112. Um, I think that was the year where he had that freak injury against KC. But then 2019 comes. You know, Stanton, 18 games. That was the year Judge plays 102. 2020 comes, the shortened season. So out of 60 games, Stanton plays in only 23. Judge plays in only 28. They're never, they've never, they've not been healthy. We talk about this murderer's row. They're going to bash the home run record. Well, they haven't been healthy enough to do it yet. And quite frankly, I just care about what they do in October. So, I mean, fucking, I need them to stay healthy in the regular season. So both of them have them consistency going into the playoffs on a good note. But fucking man, we need this fucking shit to work, you know. But, you know, when they're healthy, you hope it works. You've obviously got the high reward. You've got the power, the ridiculous power. You've got the good plate presence from both of the plate discipline. Even Stanton's, you know, remember last postseason, he was remarkable with the home runs, but just showing an impeccable eye at the plate, not chasing not chasing that bullshit as consistently. Um, and then Judge, obviously, this is a 400 on base guy. But, you know, they are, it does, you know, it's the same thing with this line. It's my lineup concerns, right? I'm worried about the multiple guys going into elongated slumps and the strikeouts start piling up and we start relying on the home run with a bunch of runners in scoring position. And that's kind of a big reason to why we go home early every October, right? Along with the failures of the pitching staff is the offense is always, you know, struggling with those inconsistencies against elite pitching in the big month of the season. And so if Judge and Stanton are healthy, there's always that concern that these are two very strikeout-prone guys who are not really strangers to slumping for long stretches either. So you hope that one of them can at least be consistent while the other one's going through those ups and downs. But you want them to both be fucking healthy because when they're healthy and when they're both on, whew, it's dangerous. Um, But yeah, Stan had a spectacular postseason, and that's... One thing I keep have to reminding myself about, I always have to fucking remind myself because, you know, I have to give him another shot. After that, after what he did for the Yankees and, you know, against Tampa especially, even against Cleveland, I, I, you can only build from that. That was, that was remarkable. I was so thankful for that. I've been wanting him to do that, but I've been on his ass all up until that point. And he really bought me in a little bit. He just has to stay healthy. It's got to stay healthy. Another storyline I'm following here. Where's Mig? Where is Miguel and Duhar going to fit? What is Miggy gonna do here? What, what are we doing here? What's the situation with Andujar? Is you know minor league the taxi squad last year? You know, we giving him the Clint treatment. We just gonna send him to Somerset? I don't fucking know. You know, I I I can't say as to I am exactly confident the Yankees are gonna keep him. I think at one point, maybe he'll be traded. Um, I can't see them doing this platoon thing. 
We kind of tried it last year. Didn't really work. He wasn't great defensively. Third base or in left field. You know. DH. Yeah. There's there's that option. There's the first base thing we talked about. It's just weird. Because even if he's going to switch positions. You know. While Geo's manning down third base. The other positions aren't exactly. You know. Vacant either. You know. It's going to be tough. You've got Stanton. Who's. Looking to both DH and play some outfield this year, from from what I'm reading about. You've got Gardner and Talkman as the fourth and fifth outfielders at the moment. You've got Clint, Hicks, and Judge as the everyday outfielders. Um, you got Void at first base. You still have Ford and Bruce trying to get that extra roster spot. Um, and again, you've got Geo at third base. So it's it's like where is he going to go? There's a lot of guys on the Yankees list that are ahead of Miggy right now. And so I think what they're end up going, they're going to end up doing is probably trying to find a partner to trade Miggy to. I just missed Obi's dunk. Great. Did he get hurt on the fucking thing? Hey, Julius. Oh, okay. He's laughing. I got to see if he uh, did anything special here. Let's see. Oh, that was nice. Okay, Obi. Through the legs, windmill, reverse. Whew. Bit of a travel, but hey, it's the NBA. We don't call that here. <laughs> but yeah, uh, speaking of Clint Frazier, he's, you know, I think Boone said a few weeks ago, he's probably going to be the everyday guy in left field. Thankfully, I don't want to see fucking Gardner get everyday at bats anymore. Um, for fuck's sake. Um, he did grand slam today against Zach Wheeler. He had the only four runs for the Yanks, but um, oh, Obi got a forty-eight. Um, yeah, uh, he hit a home, Clinton hit a home run. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Yeah. So. My expectations for him are pretty high. I, I think he can be a 30-100 guy. I really do. So in his first full season with the Yankees, man, I'm excited for him. Um, you hope... One thing I'm going to keep an eye on, I, I think the, the bat's going to be there, most likely, knock on wood. But Obi broke the backboard? Oh, no, they're doing... They're putting a, they're putting a prop on the backboard. Fucking... They're resting the ball on, like, a little platform. Oh, shit. Who's this for? Who is this? I don't know. This is so weird. That was just like a generic dunk for Simmons. Simmons. I think he's from Portland. Yeah. Um, Where were we? Sorry, I keep getting distracted watching this contest. Um, But I think the one thing I'm going to watch for Clint... You know, he was a gold glove candidate, top three in left field last year during the shortened season. He played 34 games in the outfield last year. Okay, that's a very tiny sample size of good defense. I just hope that it's enough to where, you know, across a full season, you know, I'm not expecting him to... I'm still concerned, is what I'm trying to say. Is despite that gold glove candidacy, you know, across 34 games in the outfield, uh, yeah, I'm still concerned. I don't know if that's legit, you know, enough of a sample size. Um, so I hope that the defense isn't a problem 
to where we're going to have to plug in Gardner and get everyday at-bats from him, or Talkman, who's also a light hitter, um, and Jay Bruce, who's pretty washed up, in my opinion, and I don't want another strikeout-prone home-run-reliant slugger up there. So I hope that Clint, somebody who's actually young and productive, can find a way to play good enough defense to remain in the 162-game lineup. Hopefully. Um, I'm excited for him, though. I am so thrilled to have him get this opportunity and stop being punished once and for all in the minors. Does Gary Sanchez bounce back? And in parentheses, I have even to a degree. <laughs> you know, we're hearing Gary cut some more weight this, this winter. Don't we hear that every single offseason? And it's the same story. <laughs> I, feel every, I feel like that's the narrative every time. Um, he's cut. He's cutting weight. He's coming back more motivated. Blah blah blah. He's in shape. Every single offseason, that's the same storyline we hear with Gary, and it always ends up the same. You know, a buck fifty batting average later. I'm sorry, a six hundred OPS later. That's the big stat now. Um, hey, he's been doing well this spring. So far, he's looking like a rejuvenated Gary through a couple of games. You know, I uh, hit a home run in the opening game of this spring. The catching looked better. He singled the other way today. When do you see that? Against Zach Wheeler. And then he walked. So, one for two with a walk today. Uh, hitting 333 with a 1,000 OPS so far this spring. So, catching well, hitting well. We'll see where that goes um, as far as the regular season. But so far, he's off to a promising start in the spring. I'm hoping for it, man. I hope he can at least be average behind the dish. Now, there was that one year, was it two years ago, where I think he was pretty decent behind the dish. He wasn't great, but he was much better than he's been for the most, you know, for the most of his career. I think it was a career-high year for him behind the dish. It might have been 2019 when he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't good. He was just decent. He wasn't leading in pass balls. I know that. Um, sorry. But fucking... I'm hoping he can at least be like that, like average. And they're saying he worked a lot with Tanner Swanson in January, uh, catching coach for the Yankees. But, you know, if we can get the pass balls to diminish um, the framing, that's become a thing people pay attention to now. You know, He's still got that one knee down style. I don't love that. But he's going with it, and it's... I don't know. We'll see. He's a big dude. It's hard to move around much. I get it. But if they say he's in shape, I want to see him hustle every single play behind that dish. And when he's running the first base. If we're talking numbers, I don't like to do this, but if we're talking numbers, can the guy at least go 240, 800 average OPS? Batting average and OPS. Can he at least hit 240 and give you an 800 OPS? I would even take that at this point. And as bad as, as as mediocre, I guess, as that sounds, that's a 100 point jump around that in batting average, and over 100 points in OPS. I think he was in like the 600s last year. So it's a big jump, but can he do that at least? Can he get to those numbers? 24800. Can he do that and hit you 30 home runs and play you? I don't know, 135 to 140 games. You know, he's had some health issues too. Let's remember that. 
Um, does his chemistry with Garrett Cole improve? Garrett Cole and Gary Sanchez didn't get much time behind the dish last year because they weren't really clicking. We saw the numbers compared with Higgy versus Gary. So do we see them kind of work together this spring to try to find some more chemistry? It's the best time to do it. But you think the Yankees went and acquired Robinson Chirinos, who I think Chirinos was the guy who caught Garrett Cole a ton in Houston. So that's just maybe a backup in case this whole thing with Gary doesn't work out. And, you know, Higgy is still here. And Higashioka had a really good year. He was a pretty good backup catcher last year. I was worried about that position, to be honest with you, because we let Roman go, who was great as a backup. But Higgy stepped up. He actually ended up being one of the starters uh, for the Yankees in the playoffs. Had a couple of games where he started. Um, but yeah, I want to see how this Garrett Cole, Gary Sanchez chemistry thing works out. And let's see. Um, last but not least here, does Jay Bruce play a, a big role for the New York Yankees this season? He had the home run the other day. He was 0 for 2 today, but he's he's off to a good start in the spring. Um, does he become a big contributor? Does he get that final roster spot? You know, beat out Mike Ford. Maybe people are talking about that Dietrich guy, uh, Mike Talkman. You know, Talkman's got no options left. The Yankees re-signed Gardner, so maybe they trade him at some point in that package deal with Miggy or something. So I don't know if he's going to make the roster spot. You never even know. Maybe he's not even going to make it. But does Estrada try and resurface and, and have a bounce back here? Does he make the one of the spots here? Does does Miggy? You know, there's a lot of guys. Tyler Wade. Unfortunately, Tyler Wade. Tyler Wade. I feel like Tyler Wade is going to get that. Going to get one of those spots for some reason. This is a career 140 hitter or something. He's like a fucking 140 hitter. He never hits. He's a terrible, terrible, terrible hitter. Um, the only thing he does is, is run, and he's good in the field because he's athletic. But he can't fucking hit for shit, and he continues to get these at-bats. I'm tired of the guy. Yeah, I, I think he's useless as fuck. Um, if you can't hit, and you're getting every, you're getting these, not every day, but you're getting a lot of at-bats, which the Yankees give him, what are you good for? I mean, you need to be able to hit in this league. You need to be able to hit. I'm just so tired of Tyler Wade. But does Jay Bruce crack one of the spots? You know, I don't know. He's not... I just feel like he's kind of washed up at this point, too. He's old. He's, you know, another one of those low batting average, high strikeout power hitters. But hey, he's a lefty, and we love that. Got this obsession with being lefty, where like, even if he's not productive, handedness matters. It's like, no, I would, if the guy's good, I don't care what hand he uses to bat. I think people overrate the shit out of this whole lefty thing. Is it important? Yeah, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying it's overrated. It's like, if you can hit, you can play. I don't care what side of the plate you produce from. We hit a lot of home runs, so it's not like we need that lefty for the short porch. 
I just, it's like fucking, come on. I don't know, man. I'm just not a, the Jay Bruce thing. If, if he produces, good, but I feel like he's going to be, what was he last year? Like a buck something? And the Mets sent him to the minor, minor leagues? Fucking, he hasn't been productive in a while. We'll see. Uh, the next game for the Yankees is, I think, tomorrow. They travel to Lakeland to take on the Tigers. So, that's that for them. Obi Toppin is using Julius Randle, and somebody else is a prop here. Um, pretty sure he's going to jump over them both. They're standing up, too. Oh, wow. That was nice. Did he make it? I don't know. What fucking weird. All right, I'm going to watch the rest of this dunk contest. First, we are going to get to the uh, the NYY and YK question of the day um, as soon as we get back from our last break here. So really quick, before we get back into the show, I do want to remind you that if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast or subscribed to my blog or followed me on social media even, you can do all that by going to my link tree. Just go to linktr.ee slash rjcarbone. That is linktr.ee slash rjcarbone. Guys, thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. All right, let's get to it. The NYYMYK question of the day for episode 218 was, who was the last Nick to average a double-double? The answer to that is Ennis Cantor. You could have said DeAndre Jordan, but he only played like 16 games maybe for the Knicks. But Ennis Cantor was the last one to double-double for the Knicks across the season. He had 44 in his final year as a Nick, and he had uh, well, no, 44 games played. And then the year before that, he actually played a legitimate full season for them. So you could have won Ennis Cantor or DeAndre Jordan. I would have taken that. Um, this episode, episode 219, our NYYNYK question of the day. Which Yankees player had just 12 strikeouts in 151 games during the 1950 season? incredible feat. Which Yankee player struck out just 12 times in the 1950 season? That's crazy. Who was that? Name that Yankee. Alright, so message me the answer um, once I publish this podcast, either on one of the platforms, you know, maybe on YouTube, comment it, or message me the answer on Facebook, social, uh, uh you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter, one, one of my social media platforms, you can message me the answer or comment the answer there, um, whatever. And let me know the answer and I'll give you a shout out. And uh, maybe you can come up with your own question. I'll put that in there for you and give you a shout out that way. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you. This is episode 219 of the podcast. BD4, I am your host, RJ Carbone. And that's all we've got for this one, guys. That's all we have got. Um, hopefully the next time we're talking is after a Knicks uh, victory. Uh, they play the Bucks to open up the first game of the second half. And then they've got, um, 
I don't know who they've got after that, but we're going back on schedule. So we'll, we'll continue doing the Knicks every two games. We will drop an episode here on the podcast, and that'll be that. And so once the regular season starts for the Yankees, we will be recapping them every night in the blog and talking about them every series in the podcast. So thank you for tuning in to BD4. I, once more, uh, one last time, am your host, RJ Carbone, and that is it for this episode. All right, guys, thank you so much. I'll see you sometime this week. All right. Ciao. This podcast is sponsored by Anchor.